Well, we're going to read God's Word now. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 21. And we read the following, the words of Jesus. Matthew seven twenty-one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the way that it speaks so clearly and relevantly to us here today. Father God, we pray that we would be good listeners and obedient to your word, that we would see the truth, and this truth would set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'd like to start with a question, a question with a response. How many of you have a Rolex watch? No one's looking. Okay, where do I go with this? No, that's not, not a problem. See, I remember as, as a, um, a young boy... I was about 13, 14 of the, at the time. I was in school. It was September. And the boy sitting next to me, he, um, he kind of did a this quite a lot. And then, uh, and then he put his, his wrist on the table. And I looked down. I could see what he had. He had a Rolex watch. I'm thinking, man. And his father drives a Cortina. How can he afford a Rolex watch? What is that all about? And then he said, I've been to Spain for my holidays. 15 pound. 15 pound for a Rolex. Well, I wanted one now, didn't I? Sadly, I didn't go to Spain, so I couldn't get one. But then, by half term, the Rolex seemed to be turning his wrist a funny colour. It was going green. And by Christmas, the three um, hands that were on the watch had moved to two hands, and one of them was bouncing along the base of the watch. It was a fake. 
It was a fake watch. And we know there are fakes everywhere. So whether it's the Rolex watch, the Levi jeans with the blue tab on the back, or the Nike trainers with the swoosh that is upside down, or the perfume that smells like the real thing, but sometimes the bottle is a giveaway. We might not always be able to see that something is fake, but if you were to ask the maker, they would be able to identify straight away if something was fake. So whether it's the Rolex wash and the, the, the arm apparently of the second hand that goes around very smoothly rather than this, or whether it's the Levi jeans with the code and the red tab at the back, or the Nike trainers that have the swoosh the right way round, or likewise, the perfume that has the beautiful bottle to accompany the beautiful smell. The maker can always spot a fake. Okay, the maker can always spot a fake. This is what we've just read. It's the final section of Jesus's momentous sermon of the Sermon on the, on the Mount. And it's a frightening passage because Jesus teaches us that there are many fake Christians. They look like the real thing. Many people are taken in by them. But even more soberly, they can fool themselves. But one day, the maker will show that they are fake and not the real thing. The maker, the almighty God, will be able to spot those who are frauds. And this is a hard passage to read, but a hard passage to know this morning. Because the result of fakianity, that's trying to be Christianity, will result in eternal separation from God's presence. It's a solemn note to end a sermon, but that's what Jesus has done. The message is clear. Make sure you're not a fake Christian. Make sure you're genuine and the real thing when your maker examines you one day. And your maker will examine you one day to see if you're the real thing or if you're faking your Christianity. And to help us understand this, Jesus points us to the distinguishing marks of what we might call authentic Christianity. And there's two things for us to understand this morning that makes us, um, what distinguishes us, it's obedience to the Lord Jesus. At the heart, that's what we're talking about. It's obedience to the Lord Jesus. Jesus looks for obedience, obedience in more than our words, and Jesus looks for obedience, not just for listeners. So first of all, this morning, let's look down. We're going to look at 21 to 23 for a moment of that passage. Jesus looks for obedience in more than our words. Jesus says these words, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus speaks quite a lot in uh, Matthew's gospel, but throughout the gospels and specifically in the Sermon on the Mount about this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. You see, the start of the Bible begins, as we know, with the creation of the world, that God made everything, which means that God has authority over everything. He is, what we might say, the king. And this is how the world was meant to be. Everything makes sense and fits together when God is acknowledged and he is king. But we all know this morning that it didn't stay like that for long. The first humans, Adam and Eve, they said to God, we know better than you. They rebelled and they rebelled against God as king and his authority. And they thought that they could live life with the crown on their head to live life their way. They wanted to live life independent of God. So what did that mean? They rejected God's authority, but also they rejected his kingdom. And this is how the pattern of our world has been ever since, that we live life in rebellion to God and we live life our way. But God doesn't destroy the human race. He could have. We, could have, we see that near the start when we read about Noah for their unwilling obedience. But God is a patient God down through the years. He has allowed it to continue. And he's given warning signs throughout Scripture. You can read it. Uh, whereby we have prophets who point people to one who is greater, who is king. But God one day will act decisively. On that day, there will be a great division. The Bible speaks about his enemies, those who stand and live independently of him will be destroyed and only those who have submitted to his rule will live and be able to enjoy life as it was designed to be how is that under god and under his loving rule so if we fast forward to the new testament we know that israel had been waiting many generations for that moment for God to establish his kingdom. So you can imagine the sense of expectation when Jesus stands up, or probably sat down and everyone else was standing up, to announce the kingdom of God, that it had arrived. So for instance, let me just guide you through some key passages to, to, to make this point. So in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says these very well familiar words. Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then in verse 24, following verse 17 of chapter 4, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. You see, God's king, the Messiah, had come to restore God's kingdom. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one. This is the one who is king. This is the one who is demonstrating what it means to have the kingdom of God. To establish or to reestablish God's authority. And that's why it's gospel. That's why it's good news. God's rule was going to be reestablished. Everything was going to be put right. But obviously, with good news, there is bad news. And it was only good news for some, for those who submitted to Jesus as the king and that he would rule as the king. And for those who resist this, there would be destruction and there would be harm. These are very difficult words this morning, but these are the words of scripture we have before us. So the question I'd like to ask now is who belongs to this kingdom? If it's only good news for those who are in and for those who have been repented, have repented, who belongs to this kingdom? How can we make sure we are part of this kingdom that we read about and therefore look forward to that moment when it all comes to its fullness? Well, the answer is quite simple in some ways. Look to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. But we've, we haven't got time to look at all of that this morning. But read that maybe when you get home. That will tell you who is in the kingdom. So chapter 5, verse 3, we have these famous words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the issue of this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is God's kingdom. God is king and God ruling his kingdom. And then fast forward through to the end of the sermon that we had in our reading, we hear these sobering words. Chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, some people, you think of the Sermon on the Mount as some kind of moral manifesto. But it's not that. When we know the tone and when we know the one that speaks these words, the sermon is Jesus pleading with those listening and us now to turn around to move from their way and themselves ruling to turning God's way and having God in control of their lives. The word is repent. Jesus is pleading. Sometimes we can talk about the gospel as if take it or leave it. There's the good news. 
you're going to respond or not. It doesn't really matter. Some of us are like that, aren't we? we? At various times, we can say we've got the good news, and if someone doesn't want it, well, it's their problem. Let me take you back to 2002. I was in a, I may have mentioned this story before, but we had, a, we used to call it drive to drive ministry. All right, I lived in an area where it was, we'd move from door to door to drive to drive. Such was the, the grandeur of the houses where I was living. And um, uh, we had some students from Oak Hill. Oak Hill, Oak Hall is the Bible college. And uh, they came and they did some mission with us. And we were doing gate to gate um, invitations to uh, a gospel event that we were running in the church. And we walked down the drive. It took me about half an hour to go from the gate to the front door. That was a kind of um, length, a bit of exaggeration, but you know what I mean. Um, and um, we were walking down the drive, and we were chatting and about who was going to speak and who was going to invite. And um, I thought I would do the talking this time. And there was a guy cleaning his car. And I said to him, I'd like to invite you to an event. Uh, it was a barn dance. I said, there'll be, a, there'll be a good jig, a good dance. Um, I can't stand barn dances myself, though, so don't invite me to one. Um, and uh, there, it'll, be, it'll be a bit of a jig. And then um, uh, there'll be a little, little talk, a little gospel talk. And he said, can't you see I'm busy? What do you think you're doing? This is my day off, and you're preaching at I wasn't preaching at him. I was inviting him to an event. And I was like, oh, oh. I was like flustered or sorry, it doesn't matter, I said. I'm so sorry. Have a lovely day. Maybe see you soon. And the gentleman I was with walking down the drive, he said, you said something there that isn't right. What do you mean? What did I say wrong? You said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He said, it does matter. This is good news and people reject the good news. There are consequences. So Jesus ends this sermon by saying that some think they are okay. Are they okay? I'll look again at verse 21 to 23. It describes a scene on the final day of judgment. There'll be many on that day who will receive a terrible shock. They've assumed that they'll be fine. After all, they think they believe the right things. They call Jesus Lord. They know Jesus is no ordinary man. They recognize him for who he is, the God-man. They, they say the creed every week, probably. They sing the songs. And when they stand before Jesus at the end of time, they have no hesitation at the end of time to call him Lord. In fact, they call him Lord twice. Lord, Lord. But they don't enter God's kingdom. Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Just imagine the scene. They think they're Christians. They're outside waiting to be let in. They're waiting at the front door to the party. They knock on the door. Jesus opens the door. And the people say, hello, Lord. He looks at them with a blank expression on their face. He doesn't move to let them in. There's no hint of recognition at all. 
One of them, at that scene, senses the atmosphere and, and easily says, Lord, you remember me, don't you? We go back a long way. I was a helper in the youth group at church. Then I moved away from church in my 30s and started preaching. I've given some really good sermons. People have been converted from my preaching. But then Jesus doesn't move from the doorway. And then someone else comes along and says, come on, Lord. You remember 20 years ago I was in a meeting and I just felt your love. I felt your peace. I was singing those love songs to you. And I had that feeling of love all around me. And then at that scene on that final day, Jesus doesn't move. Jesus says, I'm terribly sorry. I don't think we have met. I never knew you. The door shut. You see, they look like the real thing in life. They seem genuine. They even convince themselves. But when the maker examined them on the final day, he saw fakes. He saw fakes in front of him. What's the problem, you might ask? Obedience. That was what was missing. Verse 21 again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my heavenly Father, my Father who is in heaven. What about us? What about us this morning? We might think we've got the right beliefs. But do we obey what God is saying? You see, we're not judged on what we say. We can't use the password of Lord, Lord. And then all the doors open up for us. Jesus is looking for obedience, not just words. We can say the right thing all the time, can't we? We can speak creeds, we can sing songs, we can say we love Jesus. But where does that go from the words? Are we being obedient to Jesus this morning. So that's the first point. Jesus looks for the obedience in more than words. Secondly, Jesus looks for obedience, not just listening. Verse 24 to 27. And this is where we get that very well-known illustration that some of us probably sang at Sunday school. And Jesus invites us to imagine two houses. They look familiar, they probably, they're probably worth the same on Foxton's or Dexter's websites. But one is not what it seems. See, out of those two houses, one of them is dodgy. With the builder and what he built. The builder seemed to be cutting corners, saving money and saving time. And the builder seems to have got away with it so far. But when the next big storm comes that house will come crashing down. Compare this to the other house next door. This house has solid foundations. It took much longer to build. It cost more money and took more time. But we see it was worth it. See, there's nothing for this house to fear 
because of what this house is standing on. Its foundations are on the rock. This house is built to last. And Jesus is saying to us, which house would you like to represent your life this morning? You see, there is a storm that is coming. That storm the Bible speaks about is God's judgment. Will we stand on that day or will we be destroyed? Jesus talks about hell and I'm not doing my job if I don't speak about hell this morning. Jesus talks about hell and judgment. You see, Jesus says these words and I and um, we've referenced this on the Sunday night as we've looked at some of the prophets. Jesus says these words, I'm sure, with tears in his eyes. Because after all, Jesus was the most loving person that has ever lived. But to speak the good news, he has to speak the consequences of rejecting this good news. And he needed to warn them of the coming reality. In the Bible, it speaks of heaven in three ways. Punishment, exclusion, separation from God, and destruction, which is what we have here. You see, this house that we have amongst us that seemed beautiful, when that storm came, it was just rubble. What a waste. If only the builder had taken a bit more time and trouble. You see, all the money, all the possessions will count for nothing in the end. You can build your life to last this morning. That's why that last song was a, a really important song for us to sing. What is our life built upon? What is it built upon this morning? Do we have those right foundations is our life built upon the rock you see jesus is giving us the choice this morning we have a choice to make we all have that choice we're doing alpha at the moment and uh, and those that are on alpha are confronted with the gospel with the good news but at the same time there is always a door that not just let jesus in but there's always a door for people to walk away and that's what happens. But these two buildings represent two kinds of people. So again, just look down at the words of Jesus, verse 24. One person, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So that's the first person. Hears the word, puts them into practice. The other person, verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. You see, they seem so similar. They were beautiful in the catalogue. They were beautiful on the website. But when the judgment came, when the storm came, one stood proud, not proud, one stood um, secure, and the other was a, just rubble. Both hear the words of Jesus, both, I suppose you could say, are in church listening to the sermon, maybe taking notes. Both maybe be in formation groups, but only one seems to put them into practice. 
And this is what makes the difference. Key word, obedience. He knows it's not enough, Jesus, to listen. We have to obey. We can listen to the words, but we have to put those words into practice. Verse 28 and 29 should reassure us this morning that we can trust these words. Look again at verse 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So this morning, we, we, we're not listening to someone that's got a theory. We're not listening to someone who has an opinion. We're listening to the one who is the author of life. He is the one who will be there, will be the judge one day. He is the one that gives us the good news. He is the one who says, come to me. And he is the one that shows that we can give our lives to him. We can give our sin to him. We can know what it is to go through death and death not to be the end. But he tells us this morning, we have to act upon his words. Will we repent for the kingdom of God is near? Will we obey Jesus? Will we put his words into practice or not? Not just with our lips, but with our lives. Are we longing to be part of God's kingdom now? Are we living for God's rule in our life on this earth, but for eternity? Let me pray. Father God, we um, want to say thank you for your word, but it's not easy to say thank you sometimes when we realize that these are hard words that has consequences. But we thank you for the truth, and we thank you for the authority of Jesus' words this morning. Father God, I pray for everyone here that they would consider what their life is built upon. Is it built on shaky foundations or is it built on Jesus? Is their life going to stand on that judgment day? Lord, you know. And uh, I pray that everyone here would hear the word and respond and they would repent. They would see their need for Jesus to be their Lord and their Saviour. May this day bring Sabbath rest to your heart and your home. May God's image in you be restored and your imagination in God be restored. May the gravity of material things be lightened and the relativity of time slow down. May you know grace to embrace your own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. And may God's word feed you and his spirit lead you into this week and into the life to come. In Jesus' name, amen.